we have to shift out of this thinking that says I go to church and I consume what they're offering. Right? Instead, what we do is we come together in meetings and we're asking the Lord to speak to us. Now, he may not use you every Sunday. The goal isn't the microphone, right? I think we all are adult enough to know that. The goal, though, is for all of us to contribute in building the body. Now, that happens in thousands of ways. It's not just 10 or 12 or even 24 spiritual gifts. That happens by taking the time to catch someone in the hallway and, 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 and asking the Lord before you step up to him, how do I encourage this brother in the spirit or this sister? How do I build them up and let my words be seasoned with grace so that it imparts something to them, right? The goal, the thing that I'm trying to get over into your thinking now is we have to stop thinking about church services and being passive in church services. The reason why half of you are so bored in church is because all you are just sitting out, just kind of listening and taking in everything that's happening, and you don't really see yourself as a vital part of what's happening. When we can begin to shift that, and, you know, I could stand up here every week. This isn't, I don't want you to think I'm mad at your rebuke. I'm just being honest, being real, because we're brothers and sisters tonight. But we could stand up here every week and say, you guys need to exercise your gifts and all that. But until each one of you makes that decision that you're going to be a contributing part of what God's doing at any given time. You know, I know sometimes it can feel like, well, we do three songs to warm up for the teaching, right? Well, God's, that's so demeaning to the Lord, right? I'm not, I'm not saying you're doing that. I'm just trying to hit some things in our mentality that, that we can zero into, and, and then it holds us back from the things of the Spirit. Now, did you notice tonight when we all just started kind of speaking out and declaring the excellencies of God, how it lifted the whole spirit in the room, right? And so what we're after, especially in the worship time, you don't know how hard it is for a worship leader to get up there. Allison will tell you. Maybe we should bring her up here next week. But she'll tell you, you're out there singing your heart out and people looking at you like deer in the headlights. And, and the idea, though, is, is that we're not all coming to see if Allison's going to sing our favorite song this week. What we're doing is we're understanding that these guys have a part. They're doing their part. Brandon and the elders are doing their part, right? And you guys need to come and do your part. And our part is to collectively bring the supply. You're hearing that a lot. What is the supply we're to bring? Well, ultimately, if we could make it super simple, it's your supply of the Spirit. What do we mean by that? It's what God is doing in your spirit, and you offer it to other people. That's all it is. I was having a conversation, Al, right, with my brother Al back there, and he brought up a good point that I think is worth reiterating, and that's that sometimes, let me say it this way, I, I honestly think that God, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we're done, thank you, I'm sorry, I didn't mean, because I leave you guys up there all night, I love it when you're playing, like it doesn't bother me at all, it helps me get in the flow, all right, but uh, I, I know you probably don't want to stand up there all night, so I love you guys, thank you. Um, but here's the thing. So we get up and we start, um, um, we start, so what ends up happening is we get into a mode where, um, where we just sort of get passive, we go through the motions, and then we stop discerning or attempting to hear and to participate in what God's doing. So you're bringing a supply of the Spirit. You're bringing the collective history that you have with God and what he's currently doing it in your life, and you're offering it to the collective whole. 
Can I, can I just give you an opinion? You can agree or disagree, uh, but I really feel like I'm right. Um, and it's this, that, that in a corporate gathering, anytime we gather as a whole, you have to be willing to surrender the individual to take up the whole. This is why you will never hear me when I'm doing a service call you into devotional mode. That's in your prayer closet at home. You don't bring your devotions to church. You bring a corporate assembly where we all begin to come into oneness and we learn how to move in the Spirit as one and we go a direction as one. And so what happens is a lot of times in services, we get so, because we're so individualistic that we think we're here and it's all about me. Paul makes the argument in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. The biggest argument he makes out of that is the best gifts are the one that touch the most people at one time. So what we're after is not just what can I get out of it, but what can I put into it. That really is the case. When you shift your thinking, and you're not coming to do church or to go to church, but you are coming to function as a supernatural body, and you're on assignment every time you walk in the doors of this building, the body will begin to grow and flourish because of what you bring to it. And it's just not your collective understanding and all the head knowledge you have. It's what God is doing on the inside of your spirit. And when you release that out of your spirit, then the body begins to grow. You begin to grow the people sitting next to you. It's important to learn how to do this, and these are great opportunities. Um, Sunday mornings are a little more difficult because, we, you know, we have lots of people, things going on, but in situations like that, we can take time, we can do the interruptions, we can learn how to flow and learn how to, how to yield. So the next few weeks, we'll continue doing the same kind of format every time, and I want, you to, I want to challenge you to come in and to begin to listen and, and, to, and to understand and try to discern and, and even say it this way, Lord, what are you doing right now? What are you emphasizing? And what, that, what I believe that will do is start to help you turn your ear to the Lord. Do you realize the majority of the people, I think statistics, I can't give you the exact one, but from what I recall, the majority of the people going to church every, every don't even believe God's speaking to them. And you, know, you realize that if you're really saved, that's an impossibility, Right? And so it's not that he's not speaking, it's that we haven't learned to, what, Allison? Shut out the noise. So I just want to encourage you, if you don't remember anything else, man, the thing I want you to get tonight, man, even, even we're going to talk about the word of knowledge, but the thing I want to really stress to you tonight, if you can shift your thinking, if you can change your thinking, and even ask the Holy Spirit to change the way you think about church, Stop seeing it as something that you go to and that you're coming to be fed. Can I just be honest here? I, I've never left a church because I didn't feel like the pastor was feeding me. I never saw it as the pastor's responsibility to feed me. I, I never have gone to anybody else in my life and asked them to feed me. Like, you're never going to, I don't ever recall, except when I was unable to put the fork in my mouth. You don't get this big without learning how to feed yourself. Ain't that right? So what I'm saying is, we, people leave churches quicker than anything, and the number one excuse, they're not feeding me. Well, the problem is, there never really are going to be the supplement to a lazy lifestyle where you're not feeding yourself. Now, I don't mean that to be mean, but what I'm just trying to tell you is, is that this idea that we're coming to take, 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 that church exists for me to take, that's institutionalism. That's, that's churchianity in America. But instead, God calls us to a functioning body where you have a divine role and a function that you bring to it. 
And the only way you step into it is you got to get, get rid of all this American churchism thinking in your mind. Because, because that will have you sitting in church every Sunday, rolling out the door, and you're orbiting around what God's really doing. And wondering why you're not getting fed because you're not really in the nucleus of what he's doing here. And so I say that because I, I, what would it look like, not to be mean or to be provocative intentionally, but what would it look like? Think about this. You're here on a Sunday morning. I think we average, what, 150 maybe, Barry, 200? What would it look like if 200 people all said, I'm going to stop going to church and I'm going to start being the church every time I gather with the church? And then what would happen if every single person in this building said, I'm going to stop being a passive Christian, and I'm going to start functioning and taking my place in the body? Brandon wouldn't be so bored sitting in his office wondering, man, I need something to do. It'd be so messy because everybody's learning how to flow. These guys would be spending all their time trying to help correct all the me- And it'd be a good thing. It'd be messy and beautiful. Because, listen, you don't get good until you practice, right? We're all, we all blow it. I've blown it so many times in my life. So that's that fear of blowing it, making mistakes, shouldn't even be part of the equation. Because you will, and it's good. You're with brothers and sisters. You're with family, and we love you through it. And God Almighty knows there are a lot of people that had to love me through my messes. All right. So I hope that's encouraging to you in a way that if you can leave this room tonight and you can in your mind say, I'm here to partner with God for other people, we get the biggest win ever. All right? Now, my brother said one last thing. Rather than trying to figure out in Scripture and try to overanalyze, I think, I, I, I personally believe the Lord left it ambiguous more than he defined the gifts because some of you have such a propensity to overthink everything that you would get so technical that it's better just to give you the vague understandings and then you see all throughout Scripture examples of what the word of wisdom looks like or the word of knowledge looks like but he's not going to give you point a point b one two three steps and all that kind of stuff because then we would take it over into an intellectual realm all that you really need to worry about more than what gift am i operating in am i operating in the word of knowledge am i operating in the word of wisdom am i operating in the discerning of spirits more than any of that, what you need to focus on is simply hearing the Lord and following through with what he tells you to do and then worry about what gift it is later. Because nothing is complicated. It only gets complicated when we start adding humanity to it, right? I fear lest somehow the serpent deceive you away from what? The simplicity in Christ, Because revelation, knowledge that God puts in your spirit is actually simple. You know it. You don't even know why you know it or how you know it, but you know it. Who do men say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That, that, you, Peter could only say that by a true confession that the Father gave him. Now, anybody in the world can say that, but by what means and how do they say it? You, You see what I'm saying? So tonight, the gifts are really about if you learn how to pursue love first, and I, I just want to keep correcting us, making sure, because we can get all caught up in trying to figure out, tonight we're going to talk about the word of knowledge. We can get all caught up trying to have a, a word of knowledge and tell people their addresses and birthdays and all this stuff. And then what ends up happening is when it doesn't start operating that way, we get all discouraged. And, and really what it's more about than anything than building our ministries and our Facebook personas on our gifts What it really is about is if we start focusing on, Lord, how do I take my place and how do I build this body? 
How do I build? How do I use everything that would give me? Give me such a love. You know, the thing we ought to be praying most, in my opinion, Lord, how do I love these people well? Like, how can I love them better? How can I be the love of God to every single person? And I'm, I promise you, the gifts will start flowing as the byproduct of that more than us trying to figure out how to pray in tongues for an hour and make it start working. Are you guys with me on that? Is that does that encourage you? You guys are all mad at me. Who's mad at me right now? You, you, you're perpetually mad at me. <laughs> All right, I love you guys. All right, so let me do something really quick. How much time we got? All right, one of the things I normally tend to do is um, in the past, I have tried to allot quite a bit of time. Where are you going, bro? <laughs> uh, but, uh, one of the things I try to do is I allot a, a lot of time, but, but instead of just trying to take the time and force something to happen, we've done three weeks, all right? So let me ask you a question real quick by a show of hands. If I did some Q&A tonight and let you guys ask some questions just about anything related to the gifts or moving and flowing in the Spirit, how many of you would have a question? All right. All right, go. Tell me what it is. I'll repeat it in the mic. What's your name, brother? Emmanuel. Emmanuel. You're his, her, okay, and this is your brother? Who is it? Uh, he's my brother in Christ from school. Brother in Christ from school. And your name is what? Emmanuel. Emmanuel. How many of you feel like we need to minister to Emmanuel tonight? Amen. I feel it. All right, go. What's your question? Can you guys hear him? Okay, come on up here. I don't want to frustrate people. Come on, Emmanuel. You can't be shy. This is family. You don't get shy around your mama. Just think of everybody as your sisters and brothers. Yeah. I'll hold it. You want me to hold it? You want to hold it? It'll make you feel powerful. All right. Oh, no, no. Hey, help me out, brother. Come on here. Don't fall over. So I was going to say... When I'm praying or worshiping, and I'm like really in like an intimate space with the Lord, um, I do feel like a heavy presence. And okay. Sometimes I feel like like chills. I was gonna say I don't know if that happens to anyone else. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's like. Does that happen to anybody else? Who does that happen with? Excellent. Okay, I was gonna say I don't, you know I thought it was just it might have been the spirit or no I just wanted confirmation. Okay, excellent. Have you ever operated in the gifts of the Spirit that you know of? All right, so everybody take a good look at Emmanuel. Is that right? You SEU student? Yeah. All right, I want you to ask the Lord while we're talking and ministering, why did God name him Emmanuel? Okay? So that wasn't a good idea from your parents. That was a God idea. All right, so when we minister to him at the end, you're going to let us minister to you? You're not going to get all scared, right? All right, we're going to bless you. We're going to build you up, brother. Uh, how many of you know Emmanuel's got a big destiny in God? Do you know you have a big destiny in God? Yeah. <laughs> I Emma? Excellent. All right, so I want you to ask the Lord what is so special about his name. And while I'm talking and ministering, it's okay. You can ask the Lord, what do you have for Emmanuel? How can I encourage him and build him up? You're up first. Is that all right? When at the end, I'm going to call you back up. Okay. All right, don't get nervous. 
All right. Any, anybody else have a question? We'll take one or two, two more if you really have a question because uh, I won't always be able to cover everything, but is there anything I can answer about the gifts so far? Anything that I've said that might be confusing? Going once. Going twice. All right, brother. Okay. Okay. How do you know you haven't received it? Um, because uh, when I read through the book of Acts, you know, they talked about how you shall receive power after, the, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Okay. Um, and, you know, some people believe that, like, tongues is the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I know I've been saved. I've just never had that experience with the Holy Spirit um, that I would consider the baptism. Because when you read in Acts chapter 8, uh, Philip went to the town of Samaria, or the city of Samaria, Okay. and like they heard the word, they believed, they got baptized in water, but then they sent Peter and John, mm -hmm. and they laid hands, and they received, you know, the Holy Spirit, and I just don't believe I received it. Okay. That's the key right there. You don't believe you received it. You're laughing, because you're getting it right. All right, what do you know that he doesn't? Okay. All right. What's your name, brother? Matthew. I believe that. Matthew, are we, we going to pray for Matthew to get baptized in the Holy Spirit tonight? Yeah. All right. Matthew, you going to get baptized in the Holy Spirit tonight? Is there any reason why God wouldn't baptize you in the Holy Spirit tonight? I don't believe so. All right. So that means when we pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit, why wouldn't you get it? No idea. There you go. All right. We're praying for you at the end. All right. Man, you guys, this Q&A thing's great, man. We get the opportunity to get all sorts of ministry. Who else needs some ministry? Just go ahead and raise your hand. We're, we're all good here. <laughs> all right, one more question. Anybody? I, I at least want, like, one question. Can we do one? Anybody? All right, all right. stand up. What is it? I'll come near. What's up, Victoria? Is that your name, right? Yeah. All right. Tongues is the, four, uh, is the, chapter 14 is the tongue chapter, right. the gift of tongues. Right. Um, and it says that, that um, sorry, if any person speaks in another language, there should be only two or at most three, but each in turn and someone must interpret. And so I've just seen a lot of the times in churches that there may be times when like many people are, are praying in tongues. Um, and so when I look at this verse and it says that like there should be an interpreter, Okay, that's excellent. Thank you. All right, I'm ex very excited to talk to you about that. All right, so let me take a few minutes, and I'm going to cover this in depth when we do tongues and interpretation of tongues. So basically, without really spending a lot of time, because I will cover this on that chapter a lot, um, but essentially what she's saying is in charismatic circles, a lot of times you hear people praying out in tongues, and there really is no interpretation. Let me, let, me, let me undergird what I'm going to say with this, that God's ultimate goal in the assembly is that everyone is edified. So if you understand what his goal is first, before you start trying to come up with interpretations, then you understand that what is in order 
Every time that we gather is people are built up in the Spirit some way. The gifts in operation, all of them, should produce fruit that builds. All right? So what that means is, let's, let's end with tongues, but realize that when I'm in the assembly, this goes back to my other comment that says, it's not about me, the individual. It's about me joining the collective whole to build the whole. Right? So if we understand that thinking, what was going on in chapter 14, tongues and interpretation, it seems was happening is this was the biggest gift that was getting abused the most. And he lays out a very clear understanding about what he's talking about. Every time we blurt out in tongues, no one understands what we're saying. And while it is absolutely has tremendous benefit to me as an individual, it really doesn't benefit anyone else to me. So, my behavior, rather than trying to give you and make this a law that you can build, beat people up with, understand that the first thing that should happen in all of your minds is, I check my individualism when I walk in the door, and I'm now starting to understand what can I do to ensure that the whole is being built up. So that's not, we're not just talking about tongues. We're talking about if I'm loud and talking to my neighbor the whole time. That's right? Except for when they tell me to from the pulpit, then it's okay. But, um, but what I'm saying is anything that I could potentially do that has a negative uh, impact on a person being built up fits into almost the same category in Paul's thinking. All right. So the goal is I come together. So the simple answer to that is I have a prayer language. Barry calls it a devotional language. All believers who are baptized in the Holy Spirit can pray in tongues. The only reason you don't most likely is there something operating in your soul that's going to generally revolve around unbelief that when we remove that impediment, you'll start whipping it out. Now, I'm just, I think I told you this last week or one of the weeks before is that I was in Teen Challenge praying, into, uh, praying to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Wesleyan Church told me it was demonic. Uh, my pastor, who I love dearly, said, uh-uh, people who prayed in tongues are talking with demons. And um, so the brothers that were working to get me, um, they used every trick in the book. Well, don't you want God? Don't, don't you want everything that God said you to have? Yeah, but I don't want to talk with demons. Um, so, you know, I was scared to death of it. So I'm in Teen Challenge praying in my room one night, and I'm, I'm praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I start seeing these flashes, and next thing you know, I just started rattling off in tongues, and it scared me so bad, I started repenting. I mean, I thought, man, oh God, am I speaking with, like, are demons talking through me, or did I just make all that up? And so anyway, the next day, I, I think I told you guys this, right? Three different people come out of the choir at three different times during an altar call. The first one says, the Lord's already given you what you're asking him for. And I'm like, oh, thank you, sister. You're so wonderful. Thanks. Now, go away. And I'm praying... And I'm like, God, just baptize me in the Holy Spirit. Just baptize me in the Holy Spirit. I'm praying for like five minutes, and he sends another person down to the choir. I think it was a guy this time, and he said, hey, the Lord's already given you the same message. Oh, brother, thank you so much. I just love you. Know. Thanks, bye. And, um, and I'm like, oh, God, just baptize me in the Holy Spirit. And it took three different people. It took three different people to convince me uh, and because my stubborn heart wouldn't believe that what God said in his word was true, how much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
And so my point in saying all of that is in the assembly, when we are ministering and we are coming as a collective whole, we can and should have a devotional language that we pray in all the time. Romans talks about that. If I pray with my mind, my mind understands. If I pray in my spirit, my mind's unfruitful. And if I pray in my mind, a lot of times my spirit's unfruitful. I can only be in one or the other generally at any one time. So the answer is to do both, to pray with your understanding and to pray in your spirit, man. But in church, I know I'm taking the long way to get here. So in church, the rule of thumb is this, that in the assembly and in the gathering, Paul gives us the reason why we shouldn't blow around tongues because people think you're crazy. And they'll run out the door going, that's a bunch of crazy people. In that I mean, Paul said that. I didn't say it. Did he say that, Barry? He said, so, so what we want to do is out of honor for the unbeliever who has no ability to discern God in his spirit or in her spirit, out of concession for that, we interpret and we function corporately in the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of tongues, which always requires an interpreter, either the one operating in tongues or someone else needs to interpret that tongue, right? But that doesn't mean that we still can't pray in tongues individually, but we don't want to do it so loud that people are going, we're drawing attention to ourselves. Now, in a situation like this, and, and I'll let the elders, you know, you can correct me if we're wrong here, Barry, but, or Dave or whoever, um, but the idea is in a main assembly gathering, we, we want you to follow protocol. We want you to really be considerate of other people. Be, you, you know, we, we would encourage you to limit the praying in tongues and microphone and all that kind of stuff because, again, while a believer's gatherings aren't for the unbeliever, concession is made for the unbeliever. See what I'm saying? And so what we would want you to do is when you feel like you had, and I believe it was a couple weeks ago, um, some person had a gift of tongues. They, they immediately started releasing it. I believe Barry had the uh, uh, interpretation to that. That is in order. But again, what I've seen happen so often is people get so legalistic about it, and they're not technically wrong, but they're wrong in their spirit because the wrath of God's being poured out on the church because they're praying out loud in tongues. No, it's a simple practical thing here. If we really love the way we should, we want the unbeliever to come in and have the mysteries of his heart disclosed to him by being or in order in the spirit. Would you add anything to that, Barry? Okay. Does that answer your question? All right. All right. No, I'm kidding. Huh? Oh, it was, it's at the top of the list, but yeah, it's good. So again, I don't think Brandon, now he does have stones behind the pole. I don't know if you guys ever look, but they do have rocks and they will throw them at people, all right? You start whipping out in tongues, they're going to get a little crazy. No, I'm kidding. So again, I don't think that the goal is to humiliate anyone, but if everyone comes into this assembly at any time with the mindset of how do I build the, the entire assembly, how do I operate in a gift for the whole, that's why when you come up to a microphone, it's not necessarily just about you getting to share that latest, greatest thing that's hot off the presses of heaven. It's, is what I'm going to do next going to help the body as a whole 
get deeper into what God's will is for that particular meeting. You know, another good example, just bring us home. Um, I wasn't here Sunday because um, my immune system's still kind of recovering from a bunch of medication I was on. But I believe I watched the whole thing on live stream and Brandon turned that whole thing into a prayer meeting. Is, isn't that right? I, I think I caught all. So that's believers functioning. That was excellent. I, love, I was so excited when I saw that. Because what happens is people come to, the, come to church, they start engaged, and they start bringing their supply in the Spirit. And then what happens is that we turn that whole thing into a believer's meeting where, where that was what was in order for the day. But at every day, we can operate in a level of that we're all asking how do we as a body move and flow together. And the mindset that I should have rather than being the loudest that's praying in tongues at any given point is how can everything I do while I'm here benefit the whole? Is that good? All right, so let's jump into the word of knowledge here. So uh, 1 Corinthians page um, 34, or 31 actually, uh, session 4, we're going to talk about the word of knowledge. Last week we talked about the word of wisdom. All the word of wisdom is, is knowing what to do with either earthly knowledge or heavenly knowledge. It's knowing what to do with that knowledge in order to bring about the result that God's looking for. That's all wisdom is. God knows everything, and he understands how to apply what he knows in every given situation. The way I live my life, uh, Barry's wearing it on a t-shirt, giving God what he wants. If we understand that everything we're doing is to posture ourselves to give the Lord what he wants, what we're really doing is we're posturing our hearts into submission, and then we let God take the substance of our submission and bring about the results he wants. I don't worry about the results. I can't worry about the results. All I can worry about is simply giving him my obedience, and he takes the substance of my obedience, and he creates with that substance the desired outcome he's looking for. That's why you can always have an assurance that God will get what he wants, and we don't always know what he wants in some situations. So what we do is we give him obedience, and then we trust that through our obedience he's going to get what he wants. Is that right? All right, and so in 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to talk about the word of knowledge tonight. So knowledge is what God knows. And so in 1 Corinthians 12, let's read through that. To each person, the manifestation of the Spirit's given for who? There's that corporate assembly language, for the benefit of all, right? And then he goes on, for one person is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, another the message of knowledge according to the same Spirit, same Spirit who operates both gifts. It's kind of weird, Paul, even have to say that. Um, to another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, performance of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discernment of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. It is one and the same Spirit distributing as he decides to each person. So realize I can't pray and fast. I can't, I can't send the miracle offering to TBN or God TV. I can't do anything. God decides what gifts I get, right? I, I didn't write that. He distributes as he decides to each person who produces all these things. And so what I, what I can learn to do is rather telling God what I want, I can discern what he's given me, and I can be a faithful steward to that. I can steward the grace of God that he's given me in the form of a gift. So your goal in these sessions is to begin to recognize what he's put in you and, to, and then to begin to steward it well for other people, all right? So moving forward, 
Let me just jump down to point one there. We could define, uh, the dictionary defines knowledge. Let me give you the carnal definition. It's facts, information, and skills acquired by a person through experience or education. It's the theoretical or practical understanding of a subject. Two, what is known in particular field or, or, or in total facts and information. So without getting too deep into it, it's just simply knowing the reality or the truth about something. God knows everything. He knows there's not, there's not anything he doesn't know. And so what the Word of God speaks, for instance, on the fear of the Lord, he connects the fear to knowledge. Knowledge is, and wisdom are two concurrent themes that run throughout the entirety of Scripture. And the, the issue that was started in the garden where we, where we essentially forsook the tree of life and, and, and in, in its place began to eat from the tree of knowledge, we were reduced to living out of knowledge. So the, the problem in humanity is we became our own source. And then so you see in Scripture now this concurrent theme where God is speaking to that and he's, and he's constantly differentiating between what is worldly wisdom and, or carnal, meaning earthly, and what is heavenly wisdom. The difference meaning I can know facts and carnal wisdom in my head, but spiritual wisdom has to be discerned. Paul said that in Corinthians. And so going forward here, the word of the Lord speaks of the fear of the Lord being the beginning of knowledge. You don't know anything until you fear God. Do you understand that the greatest wisdom of the world can't do one thing to remedy the situation we were all in, in that we were living in darkness and didn't even care. But yet the knowledge of God, the, the knowledge, eternal knowledge spiritual knowledge, the beginning of it, starts with the heart that is postured in the fear of God. And then he goes on to say, fools despise wisdom and instruction. A, a, a fool loves to delight in his own opinion, right? And then he goes on to say, and in Hosea 4, people are destroyed because of their lack of knowledge, and then knowledge enhancing the wise man's strength, not leaning into our own understanding, Proverbs 3.35. So the Bible has a lot to say about knowledge in general. And lastly, it reminds us that the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, and that wisdom comes from knowledge and understanding. So what we have to understand is that wisdom and knowledge is are two powerful predominant themes and I will often say this to people that I'm counseling or working with is facts can't free you. Let me say that again. A fact, a piece of information cannot free you. That's why the best of, that the world can offer are silly little TV commercials that do some cute little thing and then at the end of it they say, and now you know. As if somehow knowing somehow is able to rectify that. And why is that a problem? Because I can, I can know something and still not believe it. Right? I can know that the truth says that there really is how much more so that if I ask the Father that He'll give me the Holy Spirit, I can know that information, yet in my heart not believe it's true for me. Right? So if facts don't have the ability to free me but yet, bookshelves are lined with books on self-help because if you just know the right thing, you'll be able to change your behavior well enough to get the intended result. But how many of you know the food isn't the problem, it's what I'm doing with it? 
That's the problem. I can't make the food obey. I need to change my heart. I can change what I eat, and I can make food, make, make, make constant my thought process of eating the right things to stay healthy and not be overweight. But then all I'm doing is managing my own behavior problem, and I'm changing behavior, but no part of understanding why I should eat low-carb and not eat a lot of high-calorie, high-fat, or high-carby foods. Not one part of that is going to change my heart that wants to overeat and eat the wrong things. Do you understand that it's only the power of God that can come into a life and reposition and realign the heart through repentance and that power of God, that supernatural energy of God can change the heart and thereby change the behavior. You with me? So moving forward, if we want to discover the word of knowledge, what it really is is it's the supernatural revelation by the Holy Ghost of certain facts in the mind of God. Simply put, he allows us to know a very small fragment of what he knows. I was um, sitting this morning at breakfast with a young man. And he stepped away, went to the restroom, and immediately the Lord showed me a picture of a bridge. And he said, when he gets back to the table, I want you to tell him that he is a bridge between two cultures. All right? So now first I'm going to ask you, is that a word of knowledge or is that the gift of prophecy? Go. Why is it a word of knowledge? And who said that? Oh, Elijah. Why is it a word of knowledge? Okay. Yeah. This does sound terrible, but I'm kind of really upset. Did they look like they're ethnically something? Like, do you did you already know that? He's a white guy. Okay. I was gonna say if he was a little, you know. Okay. No, that's good. I, I, I think that's an excellent question. Hey, was there a dead giveaway and am I just really perceptive about the person and I'm doing... Okay. Okay. Now this goes back to his point and it sort of is a trick question because, because sometimes the lines are gray and you don't really know what's operating in the end. Who cares? Just get it across, right? But, but I'm going to tell you why this is a word of knowledge. It was a word of knowledge because God was giving me a fact of something that he knows about the person. Now, it seems ambiguous, but what makes that a word of knowledge? I'll tell you. Because when I came back to the table and I sat down with him and I said, I just, brother, before we start talking about anything else, I just want you to know that God says that you are a bridge and he immediately starts laughing. And I said, you're, not only are you a bridge, you're a, you're a bridge between two cultures. You're, you're on one end, there's white culture that are all involved in Trump and all this nationalism and stuff like that, and they're more aware of American politics than they are the kingdom of God. Yes, I said that. Don't get mad at me or do you. It's your choice. Uh, and if I haven't offended you yet, I'm an equal opportunity offender. There's still time, trust me. But, but in that, um, uh, I, I said to him, you're going to bridge... A, a culture, a white culture, you're going to have a voice into that. But on the other side, you're really going to have a grace into black culture. And, and, and a lot of the political, neo-political things that are moving around in a lot of those circles. And he's busting out laughing by this time. I said, no, what's going on? He said, I was just in Miami this week, and a brother, the brother that was ministering on the platform came to me and said, brother, God says you're a bridge between two cultures. 
Okay, now, now, why was that a word of knowledge? Go. Okay. Uh, what I learned was that um, any, a word of knowledge was a verifiable fact. Okay. You know, like you have a blue car or whatever, a verifiable. And if it's not a verifiable fact, then it is revelation, ergo. Okay. I wouldn't disagree with that. I, I think that's within the realm of what we're talking about. The reason why I would classify it as a word of knowledge, because I was speaking to the brother something that God knew about him, and I would have no way of knowing precisely exactly what to say that was said to him previously a couple days ago. So I would, what I wouldn't do, it's okay to share that. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't quibble over that. I say it's a word of knowledge, but if you don't, it's all good. In the end, the, the you got something? Yeah, go for it. Predictive. Yep. Word. I would agree. So, so there's a bit of a shift. You shift it from word of knowledge to prophetic word. Right. Okay. And thanks for beating me to the punch. I appreciate that. I did that to Barry the other week, so thanks for doing it to me. I'm reaping what I sow. All right. Now, the point, though, is, is the larger point, yes, to both of you. The larger point is what my brother Al said. Sometimes it's a little obscure, and rather than taking a lot of time to figure it out, just roll with it. All right, if I can get you to believe that. But he is correct in that the Lord really gave me a word of knowledge for, I believe it was, because I saw the bridge, I understood who he was, and I didn't know that someone had said the exact same word, word for word to him a couple of days before. Now, I could give you a lot of different examples. Let me give you one more example that was pretty prominent for me. This is probably high-level stuff. But I'm, I'm, I'm like, uh, God's calling, getting ready to call me to pastor a church. I was a 24-year-old going, what in the world? I've never even thought about doing this. And it was weird how it all got set up. Um, the quick version is uh, the, these people asked me if I would come and start a church, and so I, I'm praying about it. And as a 24-year-old, it never once dawned on me, I'd like to start a church. I, I, I didn't, like, I see what pastors go through. That's a no. Um, but we went away for the weekend, and I was going to come back and give these people the answer. And while I was away, I get these teaching tapes. A friend of mine had just been up to Syracuse, New York, uh, a pastor up there, had a radio show and all that, had given him all of his teaching tapes. They were college buddies, and uh, he made copies and gave them to me. I'm listening to a tape driving back or one night as we're heading back to Indiana, and on the tape, it's the divine favor of God, and, and it moved me so deeply in my spirit. It was like man, it was like man out of my soul. And I remember hearing the Lord say, you're going to meet this man. Now, you know how it is. That was more of an impression and just a knowing in my spirit. And I thought, cool, that's awesome. So anyway, we get back. It's like on a Sunday, and, and Monday rolls around. Ginger goes to work. I'm off, and and uh, I'm like, God, am I going to start this church? I'm really not hearing anything. I'm feeling a little nervous about it. I'm, I've been praying in tongues, pacing back and forth for about an hour. And, and I hear the Lord say, I want you to find John Carter's number in New York, and I want you to call him. This guy that was on the teaching tape. And so I looked his number up. I call his church, and, and I, say, I say to his personal secretary, hey, uh, my name's Derek Kirkman. I was praying in the Spirit, and the Lord told me to call John Carter. 
I've never met him, and I know you think I'm crazy. She says, I'll give him the message. Like, this is probably 50 of 75 that have called him that day, you know? He had a radio show, all that. So about 30 minutes later, I get this phone call. didn't tell him anything. I get this phone call, and this is exactly what the Lord said. He said, hey, is, uh, can I speak to Derek Kirkman? Yeah, this is he. Hey, this is Pastor John Carter. The Lord told me to tell you two things. One, you're supposed to start that church. Two, I'm supposed to bring you to Syracuse, New York, let you spend a week with me, pour into your life, and to give you anything you ask for. Okay, I was at his church about two weeks later. They put me up in an embassy suites. They made me feel like I was royalty. They didn't know me from Adam. He had only heard what God said Gave him a word of knowledge for a young man in Kokomo, Indiana, and said, you should go start that church. And the rest is history. He was a wonderful man of God. He followed through on everything he said he was going to do. So that word of knowledge became a very powerful point in our destiny. I would have never, and I, I tell you, I know me, I'm weak and frail. I would have never had the faith to do that without God doing something miraculous because I was already leaning toward no because it's a lot of work. So the idea was he was able to give me a certain understanding of God's will. Now, I would argue with you that he knew in the mind of God that God wanted me to go do that. That was a fact. Now, I wouldn't disagree with what Teresa said. It has to be verifiable. And again, I've given you two sort of subjective examples. But to that, I would say that how could he have known? He couldn't have known. There was nothing that I gave him in that, in that speak. You know, another example, last year, you know, we had a particular brother in here. He's calling out addresses and all that stuff. And of course, he says, Derek. And I'm sitting like, like I, I, you know, I'm, I, I have to sit on the middle row, which I'm already thoroughly annoyed at that. One, because I don't want to be up front all the time. For, and, you know, I'm just sort of conscious that it's super packed out. They're bringing in chairs. Remember that? And and I'm thinking, I'm super annoyed. I gave up my chair where I normally sit to a brother who had driven from like way up um, north in, uh, in uh, Florida to, to come because we were you know, talking and we got there late and he couldn't stand in line. He wasn't going to get a chair. Well, anyway, the only seat left in the house was Eduardo's seat and I took his seat and he made him go get a chair. Remember that? You probably don't remember that. And anyway, uh, so long story short, I, I hear this. He's this guy's minister and he goes, Derek. And I went, Oh, God, please let Derek Kelly be here. Please let Derek Kelly. That's literally what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, oh, God, oh, God. And then, of course, freaking Sarah pointing right at me. I'm like, no, you meant Derek. Thanks, Sarah. You guys probably know she's gone now. But um, she's up with Jeremiah. But, uh, but anyway, I'm thinking, oh, man. And then, so I stand up, and I'm like, there's no getting out of this. Please be wrong. Please be wrong. Please be Derek Kelly. That's literally what I'm praying. I don't know why, because there's thousands of people, and I didn't really want to be seen. That's why. And... um. So anyway, he starts to minister to me, and then he says, the Kirkman family. I'm like, oh, dadgummit. There's no getting out of this now. I was hoping he'd say Kelly. And then what he said next was pretty interesting. Now, I, I can tell you that the cynic in me would go, okay, what could he have found out about me on Facebook? Because people do do that, all right? And, and uh, why would he... You know, why would God give a word of knowledge like that to call me out like that? That, that hit my mind. That wasn't a long thought, but I am aware that some people do do that. So the question I'm going to ask God next is, what was the point of you calling me out like that? So what he said next, I was super interested in. Now, to be honest with you, uh, uh, to be totally honest, he said something about my lungs that wasn't accurate. I mean, there really wasn't anything 
to do with my lungs at all um, that I'm aware of, and I've been checked several times since. And so, but that's okay. The, the other part, though, he started talking about was my heart, and he used the natural metaphor to start talking about the spiritual part of the heart. And I thought that was pretty good. So my point in saying all that is God will use the word of knowledge most of the time, in many occasions, especially in modern settings, to get your attention about something because what he's getting ready to say next is going to be super important. All right, now in that, let me say this, that what the word of knowledge is not, like many people will tell you, it's a great command of Scripture. While that's impressive and amazing, that's not the gift of the word of knowledge. All right? Every believer should possess a great knowledge of the Bible. That's why you should be hanging out with teachers and not prophets all the time. The knowledge of truth uh, that is available to every believer, 2 Timothy 2.24. Word of knowledge is an operation to unveil hidden facts about a person, place, event, or circumstances. Where this will operate the most that I've seen in my life, and again, just like every gift, God seems to release into people different flavors of the gift. And what I mean by that, you'll see this a lot when we start talking about the gifts of healings, but in the word of knowledge, where the Lord uses that the most in me is when I'm sitting down and counseling with people and I immediately start to see different parts in their life and I immediately start ministering to it. Now, what I don't do is start necessarily calling it out to the person so that they can be impressed by my great word of knowledge prowess. What, what it does for me is, is it helps me to begin to start navigating a direction that God wants to go in order to start working for their freedom. And so I would venture to say many of you have probably operated in this gift and potentially didn't know that you were doing it. And so, but what you can understand is in the operation, it's to unveil hidden facts about a person, place, event, or circumstances. And what you're going to find more often than not is the word of knowledge will generally be, be accompanied by one of several other gifts or multiple gifts. Just like when we get into the gift of prophecy, we are going to realize that the gift of prophecy itself is most of the time a container for all the other gifts to, to be delivered in. You'll start off in prophecy just like he was talking about here. I whipped out the bridge and immediately started talking into what he was going to do and crossed over into the prophetic when I was talking to him. Prophetic is predictive. The word of knowledge isn't. The word of knowledge is a fact. I guess I'll use that definition. A verifiable fact. All right? So with that, let's talk about the purpose. You see uh, multiple examples. Uh, God used the word of knowledge to warn. Now, I realize that in the Old Testament, you're going, well, the word of knowledge wasn't an operation in the, in the Old Testament. But again, what I, would, what I would submit to you is that the same spirit that operated in the miraculous in the Old Testament is now the same spirit that's been given freely to every single person, and his gifts have been distributed widely where they were only really given to certain people for, spe for specific reasons. So you have in 2 Kings, Elisha warns the king not to go, and he knows by the Spirit that the Armenians, or Aramaeans are planning, Ar Armenians, that's awesome. Barry, you probably caught that, right? Um, uh, to mobilize the troops there. Number two, so the first person a word of knowledge is to warn. I'll give you an example. I think, I can't remember if I shared this or not, but I had a dream. Um, words of knowledge is to don't, don't get caught up in the delivery, get, get caught up in what's operating. So word of knowledge can come just as much in a dream or a trance or and just as much as they can, a sudden knowing in the moment. I had a dream of a man who, um, you know, was a, 
working in an office, and I saw this woman trying to seduce him. I mean, literally, it was as vagrant as you could come, flagrant. And I saw her working overtime to really draw him into an affair. And that was a real serious thing. So I, I, that happened on Saturday night. Sunday morning, I walked up to him the next morning and, and, and didn't say, Brother, I've had a dream. <laughs> didn't do any of that. Because the goal wasn't for me to show him how spiritual I was. The goal was to protect his soul. And so all I did was I said, he didn't know about the dream, I think, until probably sometime after. But I said, brother, I just want to encourage you. This is all I said. I just want to encourage you that, you know, the, the way the enemy will work in your life first is he starts working through seduction. We become seduced and enamored with something. And then before long, as we entertain it and partner with it, it translates over into obsession. We're first seduced, seduced. Then we become obsessed. And I'm talking to him about this, and, and I led him through this progression. So I used the word of knowledge in the dream, but I knew this was real time. And I knew when I started talking to him about it, he immediately tightened up. And I thought, man, I hope I'm not too late. But I said, I want to warn you, brother, because seduction is really trying to work in your life, and you need to shut that down right now. And then I think, if I remember correctly, it was maybe a week or two later, it wouldn't, that started a process where he was already involved with that woman. It already had, was already had a second life with her that his wife didn't know about. Now, why did God wait to that? I don't know. But, but, what, but me stepping in and giving him that word and knowledge, so when he kind of came back to me the second time and he was hinting around that I was right, then I told him what the dream was, and that started this process where I believe it was a few weeks later, not too long after that, he came clean with his wife and he started working through uh, trying to get restoration on that. Um, but again, notice that I shared a level of emotional intelligence. I just blab everything I knew, and I didn't want to do anything to try to bring him shame. But what I did do is I started a process knowing that that process was starting in his life and I knew what was operating. You say, was that discernment? No, because I saw it in a dream. I knew exactly what was happening. Just like Elisha saw it and understood. Uh, two acts is to confront. So in a sense, that's what I did too. Peter, God told Peter that what he had cleansed, Peter must not call common. Uh, number three, God uses the word of knowledge to exhort Ananias told Saul why he had come, that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. How did Ananias know that? God told him and told him to go to Straight Street because a man named Saul was praying. And then number four, he'll use it to reveal God told Nathan about David's sin, and when he sent Nathan to confront him, he then uses a word of wisdom to provoke David's heart. He took knowledge that God had supernaturally given, and then he started operating in divine wisdom to provoke his heart to repentance. You're going to find this a lot with prophetic people, the ones that are operating maturely. They understand that when they're on assignment from the Lord to, to bring about a desired result, many times they'll use the word of wisdom to provoke the person's heart oftentimes to offend the mind to get to the heart, but it's never to bring shame or condemnation or build you up as being super spiritual. It's to bring about what God wants in the life of the person, which is wholeness and restoration, right? And so going on, um, it's, we can identify healing. You see this more common than not. I, I can tell you that for I have friends that they operate strongly in the word of knowledge, and for me, when I get it, it is just a sudden knowing more than it is anything. It's just I just suddenly know something I didn't know before. 
But when other friends get it, they'll start feeling body parts starting to physically hurt, and that's a word of knowledge that they'll call out and say, God wants to heal this person up right here. And so many of you, when I start teaching on the prophetic, like to our prophetic groups, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about doing body checks. You know, when you feel like the Lord's um, starting to move, be conscious of, of sensations that aren't normal to you. Um, I, believe it or not, had a friend of mine that operated pretty heavily in deliverance. And, it, and uh, when he told me how he does, I'm like, yeah, just don't talk about that, brother. Just let the fruit speak for itself. But he would tell me stories how when he would get around, he would smell in the Spirit. Now, it wasn't, to him, it felt like he was smelling something in his, na- in his natural senses, but I believe what I believe he's really smelling is his, his spiritual sense of smell. It comes to him that way. And he, it, many times he'll, he said he'll smell certain ways that, that um, will almost make him physically sick depending on what type of demon has been present that he has to start manifesting. So I don't, I don't ask a lot of questions about that because, again, his fruit spoke for itself. He has a track record of really getting free from, from uh, people free from demonization, and he hasn't built a doctrine around it. But my point in saying is the word of knowledge can come through all five of your senses, and I would argue and I would submit to you that just as you have five natural sen- senses, you really, in a sense, have spiritual versions of those senses. And a lot of times people are getting things like that and they don't realize that's what's happening. You with me on that? All right, wrapping this up, uh, we can reveal God's thoughts. Acts 9, go, because this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before Gentiles and kings and the people of Israel. We, we say, well, that's prophetic. Well, no, really not in the moment. That's exactly what God had already decided. Right? So that's a fact in God's mind. And uh, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Number eight, uh, to find what's missing popular in 1 Samuel, uh, what, he, what was hidden he found among the equipment. And then verse uh, nine, it's to encourage, before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So Jesus had already saw him before he ever called him. So he saw, you say, well, he's in the spirit, but I would argue again, he saw a fact in the present, in the spirit. I can tell you that um, probably the wildest story that I, probably, I think I've shared on a, several occasions, but the Lord, I'm in an office store, and I, I don't know if I'd quite say this was word of knowledge. I don't know, it's borderlining. But, but I'm in the store, and God says, you need to stop what you're doing. I felt something was, I was impressed that something was, like there's a, there's a, there's a, a shaking in the force, Luke. Like I'm like going something like totally, <laughs> what? So I'm like, uh, uh, like the spiritual atmosphere, something's deeply wrong. And some of you felt that. Like, I, you know, uh, you, you just have this impression something's not quite right. And I suddenly felt an absolute urgency to go to the church. I was about 30 minutes away from the church. I was going to jump on the highway because I knew it was the Lord, and I felt like I had to race like my life depended on getting there. And I was getting on the highway, and the Lord said, don't go the highway, I want you to go the back way, which is going to take me longer. And then I proceeded to start to argue with God, and then it suddenly dawned on me that I'm probably going to get nowhere. I need to just do what he's saying. So I went and got on the back road, only to pass by that adult bookstore at exactly the same time the pastor was walking into it. His car had been parked around the back, and when he did that, I can tell you that the timing was so critical that I literally passed by as he opened the door and started walking in, 
And I immediately thought to myself, God, why in the world did you just let me see that? He said, exactly. Now go wait at the church. Now that isn't necessary. And so when he came back, you know, I confronted him about that. And that started a story for another time. But my point in saying that, is it a word of knowledge? Maybe not because it's not verifiable. And I didn't really know what I knew. But I can tell you this, that I had a supernatural understanding that I had to get to that church right away. And I had no idea why. And so what I'm saying to you is, even if it was or wasn't a gift operating, what I was is super sensitive and my ear was tuned to the Lord in a way that I could respond to Him every time He asked me. So in that case, I would say that this was a warning because what came next is when I sat down with Him and talked with Him, I said to Him, Brother, I want you to know that this pathway that you're on right now, I said this to him before I ever told him what I meant. I said, this path that you're on right now will cost you your marriage, it will cost you your ministry, and it will cost you your kids. And he's like rolling his eyes going, what are you, what are you, why are, why are you being so dramatic? And I told him how I got there, and he got a little nervous. He got that little, little nervous laugh going. And then he said the unthinkable. He said, oh, well, the Holy Spirit told me to go in there. And I knew then his ministry was over. Now, it took about a year and a half for that to happen, about two years. And he held on. But today, he's no longer married to his wife. His kids all hate him, and his ministry tanked. And so, in that case, there was several gifts operating there. But I can just tell you that the word of knowledge in that process, whether it was prophecy or whether it was knowledge about what God knows about a certain thing, what we have to understand is, is that the word of knowledge oftentimes God releases for a deeper purpose than just being able to give someone their address. If I can say to you one thing about the word of knowledge, it is that God doesn't intend for the word of knowledge to be cheap parlor tricks. What he does intend for it to be is an avenue that brings about his desired result in a person's life, and that result is always redemptive. With me on that? It got real kind of serious all of a sudden. All right, let me wrap this up. How it manifests? A sudden knowing. You don't know why you know it, but you do. Two visions, uh, and, and I, I, we'll talk about this when we get into prophecy a lot more, but, but what I want you to, what we're going to talk about a lot is visions, because this gets so mysterious and people over-sensationalize when they're talking about the prophetic a lot of times, and many of you are probably having visions, you just don't know it, because a lot of times what a vision is at the, at the, at the most basic level is, is you begin to see something play inside of your imagination. You just have to know when it's carnal or when it's energized by the Holy Spirit. And many times that takes practice. And it takes working with mature people who can help you start to discern through it. But visions aren't really complicated. And by the way, dreams don't outrank visions, so you don't have to feel like you need to produce a dream and suddenly your dream is more important than your vision. If it's from the Lord, it's all important, right? So the goal is to figure out if you're really hearing from God or not. All right, so visions and then dreams and then a picture. Many times you're going to see, um, I know some people that in their word of knowledges, when they get an address, they won't hear it. They won't suddenly know it. They'll see something weird like they'll see it on a placard or they'll see it like on a, on, a, uh, on a sign on the front of your house. They'll see an address like that. Sometimes some people will, so the mode of delivery a lot of times can be just simply a picture. 
Uh, I think I was ministering to somebody one time, and I saw like this kind of crude drawing like you draw on a whiteboard of a sailboat out on the water. And it was the dumbest thing. Like, I've never prophesied anything like that before. And I just said, I want, the Lord said, I want you to go tell the person exactly what you saw. And that picture meant something to them. So the point is, God can speak to us as a picture. And then, often, it can come through another gift. Now, you can read section 5 for yourself. That's pretty explanatory. I want to jump to section 6, and then we're going to minister to two people tonight. At 8.30... If you guys have to go, please go. You won't make us mad or offend us. It's a school night. Totally get it. Um, but if you, if you want to stay out and hang out for a little bit and let's minister to people, won't make it longer than it has to be, but we want to give you the opportunity to build people up. And we want to get this brother baptized in the Holy Spirit. All right? All right. So six, couple tips. When you see a word of knowledge, consider first what God wants you to do with it. When you get a word, when you feel like you're receiving from the Lord, Get into the habit of asking, no, God, what do you want me to do about it? Why is that important? Because, again, we undervalue prayer. Like, I know we don't believe in prayer because if we did, we'd pray a lot more than we do. It's that simple. And what happens is a lot of times people undervalue and underrate that God would show you something in the Spirit and call you to pray it and to release it, and that be the end of it. But somehow we think that's too unspoken. Man, that wasn't even worth the time of you giving the, if I don't get on the microphone and look important, right? I forget, I feel like it was Spurgeon, but I can't remember who it was. But he said, God seems to have limited himself as to what he will and won't do to the prayers of the church. You know who that was, Barry? You remember that? Oh, Wesley. Of course, I'm a Wesley, or was raised in a Wesley. So, so it's true. So God, many times, what do you want me to do with it, Lord? Many times he's going to say, I want you to pray it through, and I want you to give this to me. Because, and your obedience is to simply pray and to intercede and do nothing else with it. What do you want me to do with it, God? Uh, you're going to pray it right here and keep it between you and me, and that's it. And, and if I want you to do something else, I will. Um, what do you want me to do with it, God? I want you to go stand before the assembly. And I want you to declare that this place is holy ground. And where, is, where what is holy, where, what I have declared as holy, maybe as a prophetic act, maybe we should take our shoes off just as a natural response, a prophetic act to acknowledge God's holiness. Now, I'm not saying we should have done that tonight, but I'm asking, there hasn't been a time when we have done that. And I've, I've said, I believe we need to, as a prophetic act, all take our shoes off. Would you be willing to do that? And in that prophetic act, what, what does that do? Well, I can tell you a couple things it does is it jerks people out of this sort of mindless, numbless thing they're into and suddenly gets their attention because we're doing something that's out of, out of the ordinary in a church service, right? Now, I'm not saying that's the only reason I do it, but what I'm saying is what if now that this place is holy ground in the fires of His holiness, there's not one bondage in your life that you have to keep when you walk out the door. That the fire, that bush that still burns with the radical passion of the Father's heart that, told, heart that told Moses, go set my people free, that same bush is burning in this holy place and he's beginning to burn out the chaff in your life. You don't have to leave here bound and you can be as free as you want to be because this place is holy. So that comes with experience, understanding that when he said this is holy ground, God, what are you emphasizing? What do you do with it? Now, 
I'm not saying you have to do that. I'm saying if you come up to Brandon in a church service and say, Brandon, I feel like God's saying this is holy ground, the Lord may very well tell him what to do about it. So I get that. But what I'm trying to teach you to do is to get into the mindset of learning how to converse with God and learning how to walk with God and learning how to partner with him in what he's doing. And these elders are here to help you here. Right? All right, and then lastly, I want to say that the word of knowledge preludes or foreshadows what God wants to do. For example, this consistently occurs when the Holy Spirit reveals sickness or infirmity. So his goal is to heal. He uses the word of knowledge to call it out. And why does he do that? Most often, I've found in the practical way, he uses the word of knowledge to release faith because faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the word of God. So we get that a little mixed up sometimes. God's interested in opening your ability to hear. Your ability to hear only becomes open as you are saturated in the word of God. The word of God, learning how to hide that, the word-saturated life, is, is the key to opening up your hearing. But faith is released when you actually hear God from your spirit and respond. So the word of knowledge most often is a contact point that ignites faith in the person to begin to believe where they couldn't, and, and, and that is the doorway to get their healing. All right, and then lastly, what I want to encourage you with is if we're learning how to operate this gift, what I want to challenge you to do is to use soft language when you're doing it. Stay away, especially in prophecy, stay away from God told me, the Lord says to you, all that kind of stuff. And the reason why I'm telling you that is because as you're learning, you, 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 what you're essentially saying when you do that is God said through me, and who are you to argue with that? And, 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 and what we don't want to do is until you had a track record of really actually being God's spokesman, you don't want to be made the liar. Right? So the better way to do it is I believe the Lord's saying, I'm, I'm not even opposed. You say, I believe, I feel like the Lord's saying. I know we're a little nervous about feelings, but what that is is soft language that says, rather than thus says the Lord, I'm using soft language. And I wouldn't even be opposed to, as you're learning, saying, you know, I'm still learning how to flow in this gift. Here's what I believe the Lord's saying. And, and that way, if you do that, if you end up being wrong, it's okay, and it's not awkward. And the person, I believe, is going to have all the grace in the world than if you try to play it off and just kind of, you know, that, that there's, a, there's a level of humility that God likes in that. All right. Come up here, brother. All right. Yep, both of you. All right. I, think, I feel like I'm going to need some artillery on this one, Barry. And, uh, Brandon, you guys, you guys ready to go? All right. Uh, David. All right, so come on up here, Emmanuel. All right, what was your name, brother? Matthew. Okay, Matthew. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the, the elders on you for a minute. All right, and Barry, will you guys take him off to the side? Do you mind doing that? And we're going to let you work through with these guys real quick with um, this brother. And then let me know how it goes, because I think you'll be able to teach him the right way. So the thing is, is lack of faith. All right, we're going to go after that. All right. All right, so I'll, I'll have you guys go over here. All right, meanwhile, how you doing, brother? Should we get you a chair? You're going to love this. All right, come on over here. What are you doing? All right, so I want everybody to stand up. Emmanuel, what's amazing about, huh? No, nah, we're going to make him stand. He's a young pup. All right, so SEU, right? All right, so everybody stand to your feet if you don't mind. If you want to participate in this. 
We're not going to tell anybody no. So I want everybody now to your question. This is not assembly. So everybody begin to pray in the Spirit. So, okay, prayer meetings, stuff like that. We're not worried about lost people, right? We're worried about learning how to build yourself up in here. So everybody, if you have a prayer language, I want you to take a few moments, get into your spirit, man. I want you to build yourself up in your most holy faith. And we're asking the Lord, start with, Lord, what, what do you love about Emmanuel? And why did you name him, Emmanuel. You can start there. And if all you do is come up and encourage this brother, you don't have to worry about being prophetic or any of that stuff. Come up with a word of encouragement or even a prayer over him, and then we're going to build this brother up, and we're going to speak into his destiny tonight.